Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. The image is probably familiar to you. A person with mental illness on the street, talking to themselves, and in dangerously bad physical condition. They seem incredibly vulnerable. You might wonder, why can't we do something to help them? Today, I'm talking to a state legislator who is at the front lines of changing state laws that can help people with severe mental illness get the help they need. Senator Susan Talamantes Eggman, a Democrat who represents the Stockton area. This issue is personal for her. Not only has Eggman seen family members and loved ones struggle with severe mental illness, she is the rare legislator who is a trained social worker. She knows the challenges of dealing with this population as a pro, not just as a legislator up in Sacramento. Eggman and Governor Gavin Newsom want to update a 1967 law known as the Lanterman Petrus Short Act, commonly known as LPS. It was signed into law by Governor Ronald Reagan. It was designed to stop the indefinite warehousing of people with mental illness in institutions, something that was happening far too often in the state. But the law also created a high bar for involuntarily committing someone into treatment. It said they had to be gravely disabled or unable to provide themselves with food, clothing, or shelter. I talked to Eggman about how she wants to broaden that definition in order to get more help for more people. And I also asked her about what her critics say particularly those in the disability rights community. And we discussed her role in a new ballot measure that Newsom is backing that would create more facilities to house and treat those with mental illness, something that was supposed to be done after Reagan signed that bill nearly 60 years ago, but never happened. I started by asking Senator Eggman about her personal connection to mental illness that drives her work. My dad came from a, you know, very working class uh, family. They were some of the first folks who started the farmer's market in, uh, in San Francisco. My uncle wow. Garland would tell the story that when uh, Senator Feinstein was mayor, when she cut the ribbon to open the farmer's market, he was able to greet her and give her a kiss, which he said with pride, we also, we always cringed when he said that. Uh, but my dad only had one sister. Uh, that was the, the youngest in the family. Um, she had six children. And they lived in Castro Valley, where we lived, and my dad had a small business. She started showing issues of, of mental health issues, probably, you know, in her mid, or, you know, probably early 30s. So a lot of my childhood was watching my dad take phone calls from her, take phone calls from her family when they tried to find her. And she, she, would, she would go missing. Um, she had a delusion about uh, this five- the five circle of golden rings that was going to bring world peace. And so she would go out into the streets and, and preach the gospel about the, these five golden rings. My dad was going to be a general uh, in the army for good. She was a wonderful woman, a fantastic cook. So she was hospitalized again and again and again. And my cousin, you know, an eldest child is the one who often ends up caring for a parent um, and, you know, would drive in her, you know, again, we we're produce people and beekeepers. And my cousin would have to get in her bee truck and drive up and down the streets of San Francisco looking for my aunt, um, trying to find her, trying to take her to Highland Hospital and all the other places where they would put her on a short hold, but never was conserved and never was able to actually get her the treatment she deserved. Uh, she was in a couple different state hospitals. She was released from Atascadero and went and bought a fleet of Cadillacs uh, because she was going to, oh you know, serve the, you know, so she had she had credit problems. She had all kinds of problems and ended up being released from the hospital 
and and being gang raped uh, as she was preaching and ended up uh, dying of HIV AIDS. Um, and as my cousin said, and God rest her soul, because she just died last year um, and would say every time we saw him, you've got to fix these laws. It's, it is not compassionate. They said she wasn't sick enough to be in a hospital, but apparently she was sick enough to get raped and die. So that's kind of the place I start. And then I, I also I have a um, my my first partner. We, we weren't together at the time, but she started developing pretty significant mental health issues. And I try to help with her family. And again, a family with with resources tried again and again and again to get her uh, but they never found her okay to hold. And she ended up saying she was giving herself a haircut and shot herself in the forehead. Um, and they harvested her, her organs on uh, July, 4th of July. So it's always a special date for me. So um, I have lived experience from uh, loving people who have died with untreated mental health issue. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I've also um, worked explicitly with people with mental health conditions. And your your um, work as a social worker, uh, again with a, with a doctorate degree, doctoral degree as well, uh, informs one. You you're 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 coming at this as a pro, and so these are the some of the things you're trying to address with the legislation you've proposed in the past and and this year, which is sort of shaping up that could be a very a pivotal year for changing the way mental health is treated in California. Let's I want to talk to you about some of the things that you're working on, both the yourself and and with the governor. Today, when the day we're recording, this is the first hearing for a key piece of legislation that could change what could happen to people living on the street. It's Senate Bill 43, for those of you keeping score at home. Uh, it would change California's uh, 1967 uh, law that's known as the Lanterman Petrus Short Act, uh, LPS, as it's uh, many people refer to it in shorthand. It's led to the closure of many of California's mental health facilities back in the day. Uh, they're supposed to be replaced by community care facilities. Those never really materialized. This would change conservatorship. First of all, explain to us in a layperson terms, what is conservatorship and, and how this is different from our Britney Spears pop culture knowledge of it. Yeah. And so, and I, I want to preface this by saying voluntary treatment is always the best. I have no argument with people who say voluntary treatment. I have worked, I have worked a lifetime. I have, you know, I've, I've been a professor where I teach the most important aspect of getting help for somebody is relationship building. Mm -hmm. So I just want to start there. But the current LPS, again, as you've referenced, was done in 1967. And it, it, it allows for a person to be held against their will if they are found to be gravely disabled, which our current definition is danger to self, danger to others, or, or are unable to provide uh, for food, clothing, and shelter. That That is a 72-hour hold that can be renewed. And again, you know, the doctor has to sign on, the judges are involved. So 72 hours, it can go to two weeks. If that person, you know, is, is then found to be okay, hopefully, then discharged to a lower care. If not, potentially that can go to a 30-day. Last year, the year before, I did another 30-day, just to, again, put another step before conservatorship. It can then go to a six-month, and then it can actually have somebody conserved, which means somebody else is kind of in charge of making decisions for them about big placing them. So they, it, they, in effect, lose some of their autonomy rights. Again, that's the last thing that we want. We want people to get care mm -hmm. earlier. And again, even when somebody is conserved, it is renewed every single year. It has to go before a judge and receive due process. And that is for somebody with significant mental health issues. 
And we're also including substance abuse issues. And one of the uh, fellow Democratic uh, senators on the health committee today, Senator Aisha Wahab, who represents a district here in the East Bay, she was generally supportive, but she also was concerned there isn't going to be enough space to treat the influx of people if you know if this law were to pass, more people were to be conserved. What would you say to that? I would say that's what we've been working on for the last, for, so since the beginning of COVID, the beginning of my time in the Senate, we have, we have dedicated $12 billion to build out the continuum of care. Because when we talk about, about conservatorship, you can't talk about an isolation of the full continuum. Right, standing up a, a backbone, a platform to be able to do an assessment on every child between zero and 25, wherever they are, putting the care court into place again to try to keep people from having to go into the 5150 process, having mental health providers respond before police, peer support. So we we have really tried to do our best to build out the continuum of care. Uh, and additionally, to provide for, as you know, some of the, the housing that went into effect. The infrastructure is has been dedicated. They're still building them, and they'll continue to build them. As you know, this year I'm working with uh, the governor on revamping our Mental Health Services Act. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. This is the, the ballot measure that the, that the governor is... Uh just as proposed, Governor Newsom has proposed, it's, it would, again, addressing this nearly 50, nearly 60 year, 60 year old yeah. cheer, cheer, uh, law uh, that, that was uh, signed by then Governor Ronald Reagan. I want to get your opinion about this. I know you're, you're supporting it and you're going to, you know, uh, rally the legislature behind this. Um, this change, as my colleague Sophia Bollock reported, it would fund new residential centers where people with mental illness could live and receive treatment. It's, this measure would be directed at people with severe mental illness who are now homeless or who need intensive treatment but are falling through the cracks now. How, how could this change the way that we're dealing with people with mental illness now? And, and, and more specific, I think because you know people who many of us have had uh, direct uh, connection with people who have severe mental illness, but many don't, and all they see are, are people on the street. How... Would this change the way we're dealing with folks? And how would people see the difference in their daily lives? That's a great question. And I think that that gets that part of the legislation because we're trying to help people. But I think we're also trying to solve the very tragic problem that everyday Californians see on the street every single day and adds to this kind of like, oh, like we can't get beyond ourselves yeah. to fix problems. It is not progressive to let people languish in the streets. Right now, it is cold. It is raining. People will die. I live in Stockton where it got up to over 110 for a period of over two weeks. People bloated and died because they were laying in the sun, dehydrated and perhaps intoxicated and ill. Um, so so because I want to kind of push back on this idea that we're not going to be able to deal with this influx of people. Uh, they're on the streets. These aren't new people that we're making up and bringing from somewhere. These are people in our community that oftentimes we step over every single day mm-hmm. or have to drive around or have to turn our back the other way, which to me just kind of adds to the dissension that we that we experience in our in our society. So this will be able to rededicate some of that the Mental Health Services Act money to be able to treat those who are most significantly ill. The bond part will also be able to to do funding, I think it's the $3.5 billion bond for funding for those step-down 
right? So because we don't want people staying in locked facilities. You want them living in community. So this is kind of going back to what we promised in the 1960s, but never delivered on the village type housing, the small communities, small houses. So hopefully, and again, stepping back to say, hopefully we're going to start helping people a lot earlier in their illness, but we will be able to help many of those who are struggling right now. Part of that has to be supportive services and part of that has to be housing. And if the counties can't provide that, they'll begin to be charged $1,000 a day. Critics of Senator Eggman's legislation say it could hurt some of the most vulnerable Californians. She'll respond to that after a short break. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. What's the difference between care court, which you were a prime mover in that? Well, that that was legislation that passed last year, as you alluded to. It's going to affect this year. It will provide new ways for families, community members to get mentally ill folks into treatment. Explain the difference between care court and what uh, you you just authored and we were talking about earlier. What's okay. the difference? Because there are there's a similarity there, but there's a, there's I don't know if there's a similarity or perhaps a backstop, right? Because people kept saying, you know, care court, we're we're criminalizing people. Like, no, we're not, right? Our our prisons, our jails are full of people because we've criminalized. Um, we've not been able to help people, right? That's that's where they end up. They end up committing crimes. They end up in our state hospitals with loss of all of their rights. So the care court attempts to bring people in earlier um, and provide that treatment. But if it's voluntary, so if people don't want it or they, you know, they they cycle off, then they end up right back on our streets. So changing the definition of grave disability will then allow us to help those who, despite everybody's best effort, weren't able to get help in a voluntary way. Some counties are still very skeptical about care courts. You hear this all the time. California Health and Human Services Agency estimates that between 7,000 and 12,000 people may be eligible to meet the criteria to be served by care courts. But the counties, they're still saying, we don't have enough workers to make it work. We don't have the funding to make it work. How do you respond to that? They say, you know, we, we may agree with this, but we don't have the people or the cash to make it work. I mean, what's the option? The people are there already, right? And so, and they are more expensive to treat. So they get to the back of the line. These are the people who should be at the front of the line. Just because they're hard doesn't mean we don't deal with it. If somebody has a, you know, a bad leg break, we don't say, well, I'm sorry, that's broken really bad. I'm not sure we can, we can treat that. Uh, we, we want, we want the sprain. That's a little bit less expensive. These are human beings who are suffering and dying on our streets. Uh, And again, we've, We've dedicated $12 billion over the last three years. This Mental Health Services Act, the redo, will be able to provide for more funding for uh, operations, as well as the bond that will provide more funding for um, the construction of facilities and, and more housing. Disability Rights California was at the hearing today, and, and they've said in the past that they're, and they're talking about care courts. And I think they've some of the same concerns about your new legislation will disproportionately impact Black Californians who make up about 40% of the unhoused population, uh, only furthering institutional racism, they say. And they said uh, at the hearing today, someone uh, representing the disability rights community said that uh, if someone is, quote, not adequately or appropriately clothed, then maybe that person could be considered gravely disabled. Well, how do you respond to that? You did a little bit in the, in the hearing today, but I wanted to hear you sort of flesh out your answers to that. Yeah, I mean, 
let's be let's be for real, right? Black and brown people make up the majority of our of our prison population and our state hospital population. They have we have failed people. We have failed people. And what we're saying is we want to move you, especially through Care Corps, because they made the same argument then, which is a voluntary program, and disability rights didn't like that either. I will mm-hmm. say um, that those folks should be at the front of the line. Yes, we've had disparities, and we're trying to fix it by providing care for people. Again, not to take away people's rights, to be able to intervene much earlier, but when they do need that care, to be able to provide it. And we know that structural racism exists, and we know that that oftentimes has you know resulted in trauma or faster falling into homelessness, because I'll also say we're the only civilized society that expect our, our families to be the, the main caregivers. Uh, and in communities that have higher degrees of poverty, that's even more difficult when people have to work a couple jobs to be able to try to constantly take care for somebody. When you've gone to the professionals many times and they're like, sorry, we can't help you. They don't meet the criteria. Mm. One phrase you use often when describing the struggle that you just discussed there is we're letting people die with their rights on. Mm-hmm. Explain what you mean by that. And I should claim credit for that because it was a psychiatrist, Dr. Susan and I'll have to get her, her last name, but she's a street street psychiatrist down in LA County. And mm. she says, we, you know, we're out meeting people on the streets. They don't meet the criteria. So there's only so much we can do to help them. And they can like tell you, like she's going to die within a week. He's going to die. You know, he's probably going to be the next one that's going to die. They have all of their rights. We've said, we cannot hold you against your will because your rights are paramount. And so they are dying on the streets with their rights on. Mm. What's keeping you up at night at this point when you think about the biggest challenges to get all these pieces of mental health legislation and policy changes changed? I mean, it all, I'm of a certain age. Everything keeps me up at night. Um, but I, <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. yeah. But, but, I, but, I, but I do feel a certain urgency because I think, I think the stars have aligned and people have become so... Um, you know, when I can when I can have a press conference and I have James Gallagher, who's probably the most, you know, one of the uh, the Republican leader, and I have Scott Weiner, who's probably our most progressive member, saying the same thing: this is not progressive, this is not compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just for the, I, I'm a, a problem solver by nature, um, a helper by you know, kind of like who I am, a social worker. And it's like I I only have so much time to be in office to do as much good as I can. And I just think this is the problem of our lifetime. And if, if there's a if there's a you know a path for us to be able to actually fix our mental health system, that is that you know the disability rights people are basically arguing that our current system is working. I just challenge anybody to take a walk around uh, and tell me it's working. It's not working. People are in pain. People are suffering, and the general public sees it. And I think just becomes so disenfranchised. Uh, uh, with government that we're not we don't have the courage to, to take on really hard issues and i feel like we've again as we're not just focusing on taking people's rights away we're focusing on trying to help them before but when they end up in those very tragic situations we should be able to help get people stabilized and move as soon as we can to a lower level of care senator susan telemathis eggman thank you for being on it's all political on fifth and mission Thank you so much, Joe. I'd like to thank you for listening and hope that you and your family are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank State Senator Susan Talamantes-Eggman for being on the podcast today. And 
As always, many thanks to the King, King Kaufman, for producing this episode. <laughs>